Hello there, I'm Natalia Malu, your unfiltered fit BFF, mom of two turned CEO of a fitness empire. Someone who understands the struggles of trying to stay fit, sane, and sexy, all while juggling work, life, and motherhood. And this is the Unfiltered Fit Life Podcast. Follow along wherever you're listening and join me weekly as I help busy working moms just like you simplify their fitness journey so they can lose weight, regain their confidence, and feel sexy AF. It's time to stop living in the what-ifs and hiding from the cameras. It's time to regain control over your body, feel sexy naked, and wear a bikini confidently. People already see you as a super confident woman, but it's time for you to feel the same way too. Let's go. Hello, hello there. Natalia Melo here, your host for the Unfiltered Fit Life podcast. Super excited to be here. Uh, this is my first episode, so it might not go, you know, as smooth because I kind of have no idea what I'm doing, but there is that. But I really wanted to share with you guys about my experiences. I always wanted to have a podcast because I've like the more that I have been on social media, the more I realized that like I had a lot that I wanted to say, but I think that in especially Instagram, that would be my main social media platform. I didn't have a lot of um, time to say all the things that I wanted to say and to be as, I don't know how to be concise. Your girl has ADHD, so conciseness is not my strength. And I felt more and more constricted uh, by how Instagram works. So I was like, you know what? I am going to start my own podcast and I'm going to invite all my friends to talk to me there so we can have like through conversations, help people, get to know you guys and have a chit chat. And I found that the best way to start this would be to talking about the beginning of my journey in fitness and how that all started, because that is something that I get asked often. Although I share quite often bits and pieces of it, I think that a lot of times it doesn't really make a lot of sense because there is no direct timeline. So I'm going to go back way back when and kind of talk to you guys how everything began. I started going to the gym when I was about 14. Actually, before I start saying this, I just wanted to prephrase this by saying that me and my mom now have a great relationship, but I feel like a lot of my fitness journey has been paved by things that happened in my relationship with my mom and, and things that happened along the journey with how we interacted, how she perceived fitness, how she perceived value that she saw in anything fitness related. That includes the sports. So not saying that she's a bad person. No, me and my mom, we're besties now. But a lot of the things that I'm going to be saying um, are going to refer back to my mom. So back to my mom. My mom never really saw value in sports, never saw value in, um, you know, working out. And she looked at gym as a very marginalized thing and um, she didn't want to spend money on it. And in fact, she didn't want to spend money in any kind of sports. And she always used my liking for sports and staying fit and staying active as a bargaining tool to control what she wanted me to do and what she didn't want me to do. So for example, if I misbehaved or did something that it wasn't exactly how she wanted me to do, it'd be like, well, you see, I was paying for your tennis lessons, but now you're not doing tennis anymore. It was just always like that bargaining tool for her to get me to do whatever it is that she wanted me to do. So I started swimming when I was six, five, because I had scoliosis. 
And swimming, we were members of a club and swimming was the only sport available in the club that didn't come with an extra fee. So I swam for about 12 years, but it wasn't because I really enjoyed swimming. In fact, my kids didn't know I could swim until uh, I would say like six months ago because they saw me jumping in the pool and actually swimming. And they're like, oh my God, mama can't swim. So yeah, I have a little bit of a trauma from <laughs> swimming because I was forced to do it, but it was my only option. It was either swimming or nothing at all. And just to kind of like add a little addendum to this is that growing up in Brazil, School sports are not like very big. A lot of times you have to go more to the club sports route. So, and because the club sport routes needed to be paid uh, and my mom didn't want to pay, I had to settle for whatever it is that it was free. So swimming, it was. So I kept on swimming and then I would watch a lot of fitness related stuff on TV. And I used to see a lot of these women with a very nice body like very strong legs, very muscular legs. And I'm like, oh, I like that. I want to look like that when I grow up. But I couldn't afford it because like at that point, my only source of income was the freaking tooth fairy. <laughs> so whenever I started getting an allowance, it was about like 13, 14. I was like, ha, now it's my chance. I'm going to sign up for the gym. And just so you guys know, I'm 38 now. So we're going back like 24 years ago. At that time, there was no direct debit. There was none of that. So you'd literally go to the front desk, pay your fee, and then they would like stamp a little paper thing that you had. And then you had to show that paper for a month solid. And then if you got there and your thing wasn't paid, like you couldn't get in. And then I went to the closest gym that was to me that I could walk because my mom also like wouldn't drive me to the gym. So I had to walk like five or six blocks to get to the gym. So I go to the gym and I'm like, hey, I want to like join the gym. And then whenever they tell me what the gym membership was, it was quite a lot of money. One, there weren't many gyms around. And two, I had to settle for whatever was close to my house. It's not that I had a lot of choices. So it was either that one or none at all. And it was quite pricey. And I'm like, oh crap, okay. So if I save my allowance for two months, I can pay for uh, one month of gym membership. So what I start doing is I would go to the gym for one month and then save my allowance for two months so I could go to the gym. And at the same time, I was still swimming. And the swimming lessons were in a club that was like even farther away. So my mom would used to give me money for the bus to go to the swimming lessons. But it was just enough to go to the swimming lessons. And the swimming lessons were like from 6 to 9 p.m. And so I had to pick. Did I want to use the money to pay for the bus to go to the gym? Or would I walk like the five blocks to go to the gym and then take the bus to go to the practice? But then I would have to walk from the practice back home late at night. So it literally was a whole ordeal. I had to save my allowance for two months to be in order to pay for a one month of gym membership, or I wouldn't go at all. And then in order to get there, I had to kind of like organize my schedule in a way and save my money for the bus to decide if I wanted the bus on the way back, on the way there. So that's kind of how my fitness journey started. And every time that I would go to the gym, I would stay in the gym for three hours because I was like, listen, if I'm saving two months of allowance in order to be able to go to the gym, you better believe that it's going to be the workout. So that's kind of how everything started with me going to the gym. That's one thing that I get asked often is like, why do you think that you took a liking for it? I don't know. Like, I think there are many different ways. I think that because my mom was so controlling over me 
And she always used fitness as the dangling carrot to get me to do what she wanted me to do. I felt like maybe in the gym, it was a, an environment where I had control over my own body. And, and I know that a lot of people now don't like to talk about control and control is something that I'm going to be talking often about in this podcast. So get used to it. <laughs> I don't know if it's because it gave me the feeling of control over that one thing that I could control, which was my body when everything else felt controlled by my mom. But that's kind of how my, my fitness journey began. And also growing up, I always watched my mom doing all kinds of diets, like all kinds of them. Like I would watch my mom doing the cabbage soup diet when I was age 12 and then I would join in with her. And then the next day my mom would, you know, sign up to get a liposuction and then she would get a liposuction. And the next thing I know, she'd be recovering from the liposuction, eating a freaking gallon of ice cream. I'm like, girl, I don't know much about fitness, but that doesn't look quite right. There is something there that is not quite adding up. <laughs> so I think that just watching my mom uh, do all those fat diets and then she would go like, I don't know, two months eating literally just lettuce. Lettuce, I remember it so vividly. It would be lettuce and grilled beef or grilled chicken and tomatoes. And she would eat that for lunch and for dinner for like two, three months solid and no carbs, like nothing. She couldn't eat anything. And then she would lose all the weight. And then she would go to the bakery and buy, like in Brazil, we have these little bread rolls. They're called, in the region that I'm from, they're called carioquinha, which is, you know, just a French roll bread. And then whenever my mom was off the diet, she would go and eat like five of those. And I'm like, girl, again, don't know much about fitness, but that doesn't look right. So I think that just being around that kind of environment really opened my eyes. And then I would always watch her gain all the way back. And I'm like, this is not quite adding up. Something is up here. <laughs> Something is up. Whatever it is that you're doing ain't working, but I don't know what it is that does. So I just became very curious about fitness. And I actually wanted to study whenever I got into university. I wanted to study sports and exercise science because in Brazil, in order for you to be a trainer, you have to have a sports and exercise science degree. So that's really what I wanted. But the mindset where I'm from was that like trainers cannot make money. You're either going to be a lawyer or you're going to be a doctor. And I sure knew that I did not want to be a doctor. My, my stepdad was a doctor. And just looking at blood makes me faint. My kids now, bodily fluid, I don't do well with them. My husband is normally the one that comes to the rescue because your girl does not do bodily fluids very well. So I knew that being a doctor wasn't in the cards for me. I'm like, all right, so other option is lawyer. And, you know, I really don't like to lose an argument. So I'm like, it looks like I'm going to be a lawyer then. <laughs> so I got into law school when I was 17, 18 because in Brazil, law school is a bachelor's degree. So I really wanted to make that my thing. But being involved in the fitness industry, that wasn't very well received by, by my family. So whenever I was about 16, I was an exchange student from Brazil in Louisiana. So I was an exchange student in Louisiana. I uh, lived in Leesville, Louisiana. I don't know if any of you guys who are listening know where that is. 
it's kind of like on the border with Texas, which is funny. Now coming back in full circle, I'm living in Texas. So um, I moved to Louisiana and there were no gyms nearby. And I'm like, oh, crap, like, what am I going to do? So I just started signing up for all these sports in in the school because one, it was something that I never had, um, you know, the opportunity to explore so many different sports and being so readily available like they were in schools here in the U.S. So I did my senior year of high school and then I threw the javelin. I run track. I, what else did I do? Was it weightlifting? Like, yeah, I did. Uh, I did weightlifting in school and I have a funny story. So, and then I signed up for soccer. The team in the school sucked. And this is just like a parenthesis, just because you guys are going to notice that I go in a lot of little tangents. So sometimes I'm going to have to bring myself in, but this one is a good story. So I, I joined this school. And then this people is like, all right, this Brazilian girl just signed up for this school. She's an exchange student. She's like the hope of our soccer team. And I'm like, oh, goodness me, these people are up for rude awakening, but that's okay. Let's try. So <laughs> I signed up for the tryouts of, of soccer. And then the, the, the coach would say, kick to the right. And then I'll kick the ball and the ball would go to the left. <laughs> and then he's like, kick to the left. And then I'll kick the ball, the ball would go to the right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure that this whole soccer thing is my thing. <laughs> but I think that they really wanted a Brazilian girl on the team. So I got picked <laughs> to play soccer. And needless to say, I sucked, but I had a great time. And I think that that's kind of the experience that I wanted to have as a child to explore a whole bunch of different sports and be able to to try and not have that attachment to to the money piece of it. Because, you know, like, I really think that the experiences that you get from sports and taking care of your body are priceless. People are willing to spend so much money in a whole bunch of crap. And then whenever it comes to the only place that they have to live for the rest of their lives, they try to be stingy and cheap about, oh, no, like, oh, that's too expensive to pay this amount of money for this kind of sports or for this coaching program or for this or for that. But yet they'll pay thousands and thousands of dollars for a liposuction or a bariatric surgery or, you know, clothes that give instant reward, but that they don't really address the emptiness that most people are feeling from not having control over their bodies. And even if we're talking about bariatric surgeries and, you know, weight loss pills and all that kind of stuff, if you do not change the habits, you're going to keep on going back to where you were. And, and that's one thing that I saw time and time again with my mom, uh, because she tried all the injections, all the pills, all the, you name it. I've seen all kinds of fuckeries growing up from my mom. And I think that that was very eye-opening. So went, lived in Leesville, Louisiana as an exchange student. And one thing that I realized is well that the eating habits were very different. The type of foods were very different. So whenever I got back home, I was a lot heavier than what I had gone. I think I gained like, I don't know, 25 pounds, 30 pounds in the one year that I was in Louisiana. And it's not because the food there is a certain way. They were just very different eating habits from what I was used to in Brazil. In Brazil, a lot of the things that you eat, at least 
when I was there and when I was growing up, there were like homemade foods that you you have a lot of control over what's going in it. And we always had a salad because my mom was always on a diet. So we always had a salad to go with the meal. And that wasn't really the case when I lived in Louisiana. So, and because I didn't know how to have a proper relationship with food, because all I knew was extremes, I, I just went for the all or nothing, you know? Oh my goodness, we're having bacon and biscuits. Cool. Let me have like the whole thing of biscuits and like all the bacon because I can just go on a diet after and lose the weight because that is how I grew up. That's the kind of environment that I was constantly watching. So moved back to Brazil after being an exchange student in the US and then I got into law school. And like I explained before, law school in Brazil is a bachelor's degree and it's quite hard to get in. So I was about 17, 18, got into law school, started studying law. And the more I attended classes, the more I, like, I'm very passionate about justice, about fair. And whenever I started doing an internship, this was on my, I don't know, second year of law, I started doing an internship in the courthouse. And whenever I started doing the, the, the internship in the courthouse, I don't know how much you guys know about Brazil, but um, fair. And just is not really a word that I would use to describe it. So I started to become very disappointed and frustrated with the way that the system was. And it really started to make me lose hope on what I was choosing to be my career. And I started to realize that it wasn't so much about what you knew, but it's about who you knew. And it just made me very hopeless about what I was going to do for the rest of my life. You know, I went into it because it was kind of like one of the two options that I was being given. And I did really like being a law student, but seeing that I was just going to become another puppet of the system uh, made me very frustrated and disappointed. So that's kind of when I start to plot my plan B. I'm like, all right, so this ain't it. This is not what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. So what is it that's going to be? And at that time, we lost my stepdad who like raised me and my relationship with my mom starts to become very strained. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to to do something here because whatever it is that I'm doing is not working. And at this time, I'm like 20. I start doing a lot of researches and things like that. I'm like, okay, where am I going to go? Because if I stay here, I'm going to be unhappy. But I don't know where to go because I really didn't know anybody else anywhere else. So I started to do a little bit of research. And then I had a friend who lived in the Netherlands. And then I started doing research on the Netherlands. And at the time, the unemployment in the Netherlands was very high. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go to a country where there is a high unemployment rate. So scratch that. And I'm like, okay, I can go back to the US. So I start to try to backtrack who I knew in the U.S. that could help me. And then I remember a friend that I had from middle school that lived in the U.S. So I hit him up and he was married at the time. I became very good friends with his wife. And then they were like, okay, you come and then we'll help you set everything up and get the ball rolling. And I'm like, cool, say no more. So I sold my car that I had. I still remember it was a, I don't even know if you guys had this car in the U.S. It's like a wifey, you know. That poor car, I don't know how that survived on my hand. It nearly blew up several times, but 
I was able to sell it. And I bought my plane ticket to come to the US and I paid off a few things that I wanted to make sure that I left no no bills behind. And I came to the US with about $350, $400 in my pocket. And I'm grateful. I'm not complaining. I'm grateful that I had somebody that could find a place for me to live. Obviously, I was paying, but I lived in a place that was absolutely disgusting. There were like cockroaches crawling on the bed. I had to put like a Ziploc bag on my toothbrush so the cockroaches wouldn't crawl on my toothbrush when I was like sleeping or it was gross. Then I started like cleaning restaurants. I don't know if you guys ever clean restaurants. That shit ain't fun. It's gross. You have like all that grease on the floor that you have to scrub. I was paid $25 per shift. And the shift was like from midnight to five o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous like that. But beggars can be choosers. So I did it. And then I started working in an Italian restaurant. And then slowly I was able to make my own money. And my mom kept on asking me to go back. And I'm like, "Mm -mm, not going back. Absolutely not. And it was hard. You know, like in that time, there were times that I could just eat from the dollar menu at Wendy's because that's all I could afford. But I kept on going. I I knew that I didn't want to go back to Brazil. That's for sure. I didn't care about what it took me as far as like making ends meet. And like if I had to work 100 hours a week, I would work 100 hours a week because I was determined to not go back. I knew that if I stuck with it, it was going to pay off. And one of the bars, restaurants that I used to clean, every time that we would get there, the managers were always leaving when we were arriving. And I kept on asking them for a job and they kept on saying no, because I didn't have experience. So I was able to save up a little bit. And then I went to bartending school. And then I went back to Blue Martini after I went to bartending school. And then I asked for the job again. And they were like, well, bartending school doesn't really do much for you. But sure, we're going to take your application. So I started showing up at this bar every Wednesday. Every Wednesday was ladies night. So I'd bring all my girls every Wednesday and walk by the manager and be like, hey, how are you? What's up? Hi. I just wanted to stay front of mind in case, you know, an opportunity opened up. And it was like that specific place. There were like waiting lists for people to start working there. So I eventually got that job. And, you know, you start to bartend and you start to get a bit caught up on that nightlife. And that's kind of when competing started to come around in my life because I was feeling a bit, you know, when you feel like you're drifting, that you're existing, that you're going every single day, just being, ah, whatever. I just didn't wake up with a purpose. And I say all the time, a person that does not have purpose has absolutely nothing. It has nothing to win and it has nothing to lose. And that's not a very nice place to be in. So I had to have something to give me purpose other than, you know, drinking a bottle of tequila every single night that I worked because it was the thing. So, you know, I was still training. I was still going to the gym, but I didn't have a bigger purpose. Uh, And then the receptionist at the gym that I used to go to and I trained with a trainer, she told me, she's like, you should compete. I really think that you should compete because this is going back in 2009. She's like, there is this new division called bikini that I really think you'd be a good fit for you. And then I'm like, huh, interesting that. But the thing is that looking back in Brazil, bodybuilding was always very, one, marginalized. 
And two, it was always seen as like female bodybuilders. And I mean, you want to look like a female bodybuilder, like the big bodybuilding division. Cool. That was not something that I wanted for myself. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. And then one day she literally grabbed me by the arm. Her name was Chris Wang. She was a pro at the time. I think that's her last name. And she showed me the pictures and I'm like, huh, okay. And this is a fun thing for you guys. Like if you followed me since my competition days, I didn't even like the look per se. I just was okay with looking that muscular and looking that way because you was a lot less muscular than figure and bodybuilding. So I'm like, okay, if this is like the least muscular one that I can go for, then I'm going to go for a bikini. But I didn't even particularly like the look. But I signed up for it because I wanted the challenge. For me, it was it was not so much about looking a certain way, but it was about finding something that would allow me to get up every day and be like, I have something to accomplish. I have something to achieve. I have somewhere to be. I have something to do. Just give me a goal and purpose. So I decided to consider competing. And that's kind of how my competition career started. And that's what we're going to be talking about on episode two of the Unfiltered Fit Life podcast. I'm going to start talking about exactly what happened after I was told about competing and that I was like, you know what? I think that I can do this. What happened next? If you're curious and you'd love to hear part two of the story on how I got into fitness and what happened, make sure that you tune in to episode two of the Unfiltered Fit Life podcast. That's where I'm going to be talking about my competitive career, how it started, what happened, the good, the bad, the ugly. I am going to talk about everything. I don't care. I don't really have an agenda. I have nothing to hide. My life is an open book. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. Grab the tea, grab the popcorn, invite your friends, share this episode so all your friends can be curious and invested with you and tune in. I'm super excited to share it with you. So make sure you hit that button, subscribe. See you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. But let me ask you, what was your aha moment in today's episode? I would love to know. You can leave me a comment or voice message at the link in the show description. You can also follow me on Instagram and let me know what topics you want to hear more about or who I should have on the show. As for today, this is it for today, guys. I'll see you back next week for another episode of the Unfiltered Fit Life podcast.